Come on in, everybody come on in, make your way in the auditorium, find you a place, grab your Bible and turn with me to John chapter number 5, John chapter number 5. How many of y'all are glad to be saved? Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad we don't, we don't worship in a hut, we got a nice, clean, dry building to, to worship in? You know, I think sometimes we don't appreciate the small things. You got, you got people around the world that have to sneak through the jungles and hide in the middle of the dark to worship, and we get to go in broad daylight. Uh, they, they, they worship in 112 degree temperature out in a grass hut, and we have an air-conditioned building. Somebody ought to be shouting right there. Just thank God for the little things, amen? I guess if, if, if they went out, they wouldn't be little things anymore, amen? Big things. All right, tonight... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna cover the whole chapter. Uh, we're gonna cover the whole chapter, chapter five that we started with last week, talking about getting off the porch. Uh, but tonight we're gonna look at the bigger picture. So many times we will go into a chapter and we will see maybe a miracle. We'll see something that took place, and that's all we'll cover in that particular chapter. And that's a big deal. Most of your preaching. Uh, that you will hear on this chapter will be about the guy that gets healed. Will be about the 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 the, the five porches. Will be about the two pools and and all of that. But they miss the big picture. They miss the big picture. We're going to go back. We're going to go back to the very very first lesson that we did in John chapter number one and talk about a main point of the whole book of John. And John chapter number five emphasizes this and shows us this picture. Completely, And I'll explain that here in just a moment, all right? So if you're ready to study, say amen. amen. All right, let's look in John chapter number 5 and verse number 1. <clears throat> After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there's at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, and whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And, and immediately the man was made whole. Aren't you glad the way Jesus operates? He took up his bed and walked. And on the same day, here's the key, here's the key to understanding the chapter. And on the same day was the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath. Now the Jews therefore said unto him, in other words, they, they find this guy. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a feast time, so Jerusalem's crowded. It's piled up with people. Uh, everybody's there for the, for the ceremonies and everybody's there for the feast time and and so there's, it's just probably thousands of people here in Jerusalem. And, and all of a sudden, the Jewish police, uh, the Jewish religious police, see this guy carrying his bed. And they say, what are you doing? You can't be doing this. Look what it says. 
Now, now here's the deal, too. Most likely, most likely they knew who this guy was. If this guy had been this way for 38 years, and 38 years he'd spent at this pool, most of the religious crowd, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they probably were familiar with this guy. And instead of saying, what happened to you? First thing they said, you can't be doing this. This is a Sabbath day. I'm going to go somewhere, promise you. Watch this. The Jews, now when you see this in the book of John, it's always representing the Jewish leaders, all right? The Jewish leaders, the, 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 the spiritual uh, supposed leaders of the nation of Israel. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is a Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. What's he saying? Hey, it's not my fault. The guy that fixed me, he told me to do it. Then asked they him, what man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? Still, still they didn't say, What man healed you? No. They said, What man told you to take up your bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away. And, and it says, A multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Imagine they want to kill somebody because they healed somebody. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Now here's the key verse to the chapter. All right? Verse 18 explains the whole chapter. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we're going to see the big picture. In the small picture, we find a man who is healed. In the small picture, we find Jesus immediately healing somebody that was born or, or was, had an infirmity 38 years. But there's a bigger picture to the story, and that's what we're going to talk about. And all God's people say it. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to teach your word and to share what you have given me. Lord, please help me to share it in the way that you, Lord, help me deliver it in a way that you've given it to me. Help me to make it so understandable that it is clear as a bell. I pray your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now go to your notes. Go to your notes and look in your notes for just a moment. And I forgot to say if you need notes and, and uh, if you didn't, you ain't got them. That's all I'm going to say. Amen. Uh, but if you do have your notes with you, look in your notes, and uh, at the top of your notes it says this, in John chapter number 20, and verse number 30, if you will remember, when we started the book of John, we went all the way to this verse because we said these verses are the key verses to the book of John. And what does it say? It says, In many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. These are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Now, let's explain that a minute. Uh, the, 
the, the Gospels, there's four Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels and the Johannine Doctrine, all right? The Synoptic Gospels mean synonymous. They were, uh, they, they were synonymous in what they wrote. They, all Matthew, Mark, and Luke were basically the same thing written by different people, the same stories, the same situations, and that type of thing. John was written after these were written. They, John was written for a purpose. He said, listen, the reason I'm writing what I'm writing, I didn't give you all of the miracles. I didn't tell you everything that Jesus did. He says, a matter of fact, matter of fact, if I was to write everything he did, the books of this world could not even contain everything that Jesus did. But these are written. Seven specific miracles that John records to give you information so that you would believe that Jesus, the man Jesus, was the Messiah, was the Son of God, and by believing that He was the Messiah, the Son of God, you might have life through His name. Say amen. These signs, remember the word signs. The word signs are the miracles that he's talking about. The miracles that he gave us. Chapter 5 records one of them. And remember what we said. That the word sign literally means the message is more important than the miracle. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Y'all awful quiet tonight. I hope that means you're listening and you're thinking. Amen. In other words, all of the Gospels, all of the Gospels recorded the feeding of the 5,000, but only John recorded uh, the sermon about the bread of life. In other words, he told you about the miracle, but he gave you the message behind the miracle. It was important and it was wonderful that he fed all them people, but the most important part about the whole deal was that he was teaching them that he was the bread of life. If that makes sense, say amen. In other words, here in John chapter 5, we see a great miracle. We see an important miracle. It's an exciting miracle. You see a guy that has been crippled for 38 years. Jesus speaks the word. He gets up. He's healed completely, immediately, thoroughly, right then, on the spot. Bam! He is healed and ready to go. Now, that's really cool. But that's not as important as the message that goes with it. That's not as important as why he did what he did. And so tonight, we're going to look at why he did what he did. All right? So let's look, in, let's look at number one. If we're going through, if we're going through, if we're going to outline the whole chapter, <clears throat> let's just go through everything, okay? So number one, number one, first we find suffering humanity. Suffering humanity. This, this chapter, this chapter really gives us a, 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 a great, clear picture of humanity in this world. What do we see? We see this. It says, uh, the Bible says there in Jerusalem, there was a, there was a pool by the name of Bethesda. And, and, and it's, it, it's said that the name means house of grace or house of mercy. And in, in these pools, there were, there were five porches. Five's the number of grace, amen. Five porches. And in these porches, the Bible says, lay a multitude of impotent folk, okay? Impotent folk. So if you're taking notes, write this down under A. First, write this down. I want you to see uh, humanity's condition. Humanity's condition. The Bible says in verse number two, or excuse me, verse number three, in these, in these porches lay a great multitude of impotent folk. And then it gives a description of them, blind, halt, 
and withered. Halt means crippled, unable to walk right. Withered means having no feeling, means paralyzed. So it, this is a clear picture of sinful humanity. They're blind. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded their minds lest they should believe the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, you, you, how many of y'all have seen people and you try to tell them, you try to warn them, this direction that you're going, this road that you're on, it's going to lead to disaster or this person you're with, they're not good for you. They are not good for you. This is a bad relationship. And they just can't, they just can't see it. They just can't see it. And then you have somebody that tries and tries and tries. And, and listen, they try to turn over a new leaf and they try to get sober and they try to kick their habit and they try and they try and they put the best effort in. But it seems like they fall on their face all the time, even though they try real hard and in man's ability and in man's power, it can't be done. It can't be done. You say, preacher, I'm going to try my best. Without God, it can't be done. You can't, you can't see, you can't walk, and you're way past feeling paralyzed without Jesus. Impotent folk, powerless. Their condition is powerless. The word impotent here means powerless. What does that mean? Without Christ, we're powerless. We're, 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 kind of, we're kind of like the psalmist when he said, I waited on the Lord and he inclined unto me and he heard my cry. Now, why was he crying? He said, he heard my cry, and he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my foot on a rock. Now, here, he said, why was he crying? Because he couldn't get out by himself. That miry clay, you slip and you slide. How many of y'all have, have got red clay at your house, and in this rain, you try to get around? Well, what we're building at the house, we don't have no grass and the topsoil. It's all messed up. Got to get all that done. And, man, when it rains, it is a mess. I mean a mess. You slip and you slide. You can't get. That's what the psalmist is saying here. I was sliding and I was slipping and I was trying. And the harder I tried to get out of the hole, the worse it got. But he came to where I was. Impotent. You see the condition of man. We get mad at we get mad at people uh, uh, in in this world and in our culture, and we don't know why they have to act the way they do. We don't know why they have to dress the way they do, and we don't know why they have to talk the way they do. And we get angry and we get frustrated at people. But you got to understand, they're powerless. And by the way, you were too. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number two. It's in your notes. Ephesians chapter number 10, you hath he quickened. And the word quickened there means made alive. You hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and in sins. We were just like they are when he found us. So we see their condition. Not only do we see their condition, but we see their ambition. <coughs> Write that down. We see their ambition. What were they doing? They were waiting on the moving of the water. They wanted to get better. Let me say that again. They wanted to get better. Keep this in mind. When you are saved, and especially if you've been saved a long time, because sometimes when you've been saved a long time, you kind of get disconnected from reality. Because when you've been saved a long time, usually the only friends you have are people that's already saved. You see, when people have been saved a short time, they're still kind of connected with reality. They're still kind of connected with the culture that they just came out of and the world that they just came out of. But sometimes when you've been saved a long time, it's easy to get frustrated and give up on people. But you got to realize they may be broken and they may be messed up and they may be frustrating, but they want to get better. 
they want to be different. They don't want to be in that situation. You say, I don't know why they keep going back to it. They're powerless. If they could fix themselves, they would. Man, it's quiet tonight. It's kind of like when somebody tells you don't worry about it. You want to say, where's that button? They want to get better. Why do you think they're hanging out at this pool? They're waiting for the surge on the water. They're hoping, they're wishing, they're trying. They're doing everything they can to get better. And boy, we've got a, we've got, here's a problem. We're living in a culture and a society today that are broken and are powerless. They're, they're hurting, they're, they're needy, they're, 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 they're broken, they're halt, withered and blind, and they're all of these things. But they want to get better, they just don't know where to turn. Well, obviously, preacher, they need to turn to church. Yeah, they've tried that. Mm-hmm. They've gone to churches and either been turned away or couldn't be helped. My, my. And see, this pharisaical crowd that's supposed to be right with God and the closest to God couldn't do a thing for them. So here's what happens. Here's what happens. We see their condition. They're, 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 they're powerless, impotent folk. Their condition, their ambition, they want to get better. They want to be different. They want to be clean. They want to be, uh, listen, they want to have hope in their life. They want to have a future in their life. They want a family, and they want all this stuff going on. But because there's so many times they were frustrated, because so many times they failed, so many times somebody got there before they did, it seems like every time, uh, you know, when their ship starts to come in, it sinks right offshore. And because of that, we see their disposition. Their disposition. You say, what, what are you talking about? Jesus confronts this guy. Remember last week? Remember last week we talked about the man on the porch? Jesus comes up to this guy 38 years. He'd been sick 38 years. He'd been messed up 38 years. He'd been in a bad way 38 years. And so Jesus asked him the question, you want to be better? Do you want to be better? Now, last week we kind of made a little humorous deal about it. Well, 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 that's obviously, what a dumb question is that? What kind of crazy question is that? How, why would you ask somebody that's been in a bad way 38 years, do you want to get better? Well, for the very reason we find when he answers him. He said, I ain't got nobody to help me. You know what happens after you've tried and 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 you've tried, and you've tried? You almost get to the point of frustration that you don't want to try anymore. This happens, this happens not, only, not only with sin and not only with addiction. This happens with marriages. This happens with relationships. This happens with any other issue that we face in life. This happens with any other dysfunction that we have. And so, you know, here we have a world that's tried and they've tried and they've tried and they've got in a bad way and they want to get better. There is an ambition. They're sitting and waiting on the water. But when somebody confronts them and says, hey, I want to help you. Is there anything I can do for you? Do you want to get better? They're so frustrated, they don't think they can. And they're broken. But I got good news. We have a great Savior. Are you with me? Look at number two. Look at number two. Not only do we see the suffering humanity, I want you to see the sinner's healing. Now we're going to move from, from the story of a healing, the story of, of what most churches stop at, 
and really get down to the nitty-gritty of the whole chapter. All right, let's look at verse 5. And a certain man was there and had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Here's what I've seen in that verse. Here's what I've seen in that verse. First, Jesus saw him. Then it says, and knew. So Jesus saw him and Jesus knew him. Then I, I put Jesus engaged him. Now that's not your notes. This is just my thinking, all right? So I'll tell you when it's the notes, okay? <laughs> Jesus saw him, Jesus knew him, and Jesus engaged him. What does that tell us? We see this healing of this sinner, this healing, and, and we know that there's some kind of connection between his, his sickness and sin, because when Jesus confronts him in the, in the temple, he says, cut it out. Quit doing what you were doing that got you into the shape to begin with. Somebody say amen. And so now we have this sinner. Uh, this man probably, probably didn't deserve to get better. He probably, he probably didn't have any reasoning for anything, but Jesus came to him. The porches, there was five porches, and the Bible says in those five porches they were full of people, but Jesus came to him. Jesus went around people and came to him. So what do we see? We see the sympathetic Savior. This is a sympathetic deal. Jesus had sympathy on him. We see the mercy of the Savior. We see the compassion of the Savior. We see Jesus looking upon this guy and he sees him in his condition. Now I don't know about you, but that tickles me to death because I have experienced the mercy of the Lord. I did not deserve him. I did not earn him. I could not get to where he is and I could not get to where he was. So he came to me. And this healing was a healing of mercy. This healing, because he knew he had been in this situation 38 years. He knew nothing else had helped. He knew all about him, and he had compassion on him. And he showed mercy toward him. And this is going to make the story even more significant when you hear what happens. Listen, we have a sympathetic Savior, a Savior full of mercy, a Savior full of compassion. And he looks down at the guy. He says, do you want to get better? Do you want to get better? Are you tired of being here on the porch? Are you tired of your life being the way it is? Are you tired of trying and trying and trying and failing every single time? He says, listen, rise, take up your bed and walk. This is a very sympathetic healing. Sympathetic healing. He loves this guy. He shows compassion toward this guy. He shows mercy toward this guy. But listen, there's more to the story. And really, this is where we're going to get into, into the, the, the main body of this chapter. This was not, this was not just, a, oh, okay, we got a guy that's messed up. It wasn't just a happening. He didn't just stumble upon this guy. It wasn't that way. It wasn't that way. This healing was sympathetic, but this healing was also, and here's it, and this is what you get. When you get this, it'll all say, oh, it was strategic. Write that down. It was strategic. Preacher, what do you mean strategic? 
Jesus was all about healing all kind of people. That's true. That's true. He was healing. He'd, he'd, man, he'd healed thousands of people up to this point. But here's the deal. Watch, watch what. Here's where we see it's strategic. Look in verse number, uh, verse number 9. Verse number 9. When you get there, say amen. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. How many of y'all knew? How many of y'all knew? Or know? If Jesus was supernatural and he knew this guy, he comes into the court, he comes up to the porch where he was, and the Bible says when he saw him, he knew him. That's deity. He knew exactly. He wasn't introduced to him. He didn't interrogate him. He didn't investigate the situation. He automatically, because he is God, he knew this guy had been this way 38 years. Are y'all with me? So he stops and he heals this guy on what day? The Sabbath day. That is the key. That is the key. Little did this guy know, he is just a player in the big game. And you're going to find out in your life, this is not part of the message, but you're just a player in the big game. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he took on and started a war with the religious groups of that day. That what did he do? What was the very first thing? What was the very first thing he did when he kicked off his ministry? He went in and cleansed the temple. Y'all remember? When he made the whip, he came in, I'm talking about like a cowboy, kicking over tables and running them out and said, you've made my house uh, or the father's house a den of thieves. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. Are y'all with me? I mean, he, what did he do? He picked a fight right off the bat. Right off the bat. And now, now he could have healed this guy two days before. He could have healed this guy one day after. He could have healed this guy anytime. But he chose specifically on purpose, on purpose to heal him on the Sabbath day. Why? Because he knew it would chap him. He knew they would have a problem with it. Are y'all with me? And guess what? They did. I mean, as soon as he did it, as soon as he did it, he gets up, this guy, he's a, can you imagine this guy? I mean, put yourself in this guy's shoes. You, you've, been, you've been lame 38 years, and all of a sudden, you have strength. All of a sudden, you have power. All of a sudden, you can get up and you can move around. And the guy that just healed you said, take up your bed and walk. What you going to do? So he rolls his bed mat up. He puts it under. Here we go. Woo! Amen? And the religious police, they literally, hey, I'm telling you, they literally had religious police. They had people to make sure you followed the, the religious laws of the day. Terrible. And so they see this guy. And that's who the, when you hear the Jews, he's not talking about the Jewish nation. 
He's talking about these Jewish rulers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the people that are the, are the, are the hypocrites and the, and the people that are the legalistic people that's keeping the nation of Israel in bondage. And what happens? They see him and they say, what are you doing? What are you, have you lost your mind? This is a Sabbath day. It's not right what you're doing. Man, I don't, all I know, that dude that fixed me, here's what he told me to do. Well, who was it? Uh, I don't know who it was. You see, because when Jesus healed him, he disappeared. He backed out. Can you imagine the commotion that went on with his whole, I mean, thousands of people in this area. Jesus heals him. Can you imagine the, the, the stir? And Jesus just gets out of the way. Who was it? Who was it? I don't know who he was. Now here's, here's, here's what I want you to write down in number three. What was number one? Tell me number one. Suffering humanity. Does that make sense? Say amen. amen. Number two, we see the, the sinner's healing. We find that it was very sympathetic. It was the mercy of Jesus. He looks upon this guy and he has compassion on him and mercy on him. He sees him. He knows his situation and he engages him and he heals him. But we find that it's not just sympathetic. It's very strategic. How many of y'all know Jesus has a reason for everything he does every time he does it? Right? So, so he did it when? On the Sabbath day. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. Number three, I want you to see. I want you to see the self-righteous hypocrites. The self-righteous hypocrites. This is in verse 10. Verse 10. Now think about this. Think about this. Wouldn't the best thing to do was to see this guy who'd been crippled 38 years and said, man, that is awesome. That is great. Let me put it, I, I, I know it's hard for y'all to take a story from there and, and kind of bring it up to date, but let me, let me put it this way. It's kind of like this. When you, when you deal with self-righteous Pharisees, and you deal with self-righteous hypocrites, this is how they work. This is how they operate. People in Coleman heard about the growth of Temple and how tons of people are getting saved at Temple and it's growing, and, and, and it's just, God's just doing an incredible thing. And it's a God thing. It's not a, it's not a man thing. It's not a music thing. It's not a preaching thing. It's a God thing. Are y'all with me? And, 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 and when they come, and when they come, and, 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 and they interrogate, uh, instead of saying, man, I, that, is, that is so awesome that God is saving all kind of people and people's getting right and getting help and marriages getting fixed and all that. Do y'all don't have Sunday school? You mean tell me y'all don't go to church Sunday night? Why don't y'all go to church Sunday night? Everybody goes to church on Sunday night. I mean, it's in second hesitation. Chapter number four, you're supposed to go to church on Sunday night. By the way, there's no chapter in the Bible called Second Hesitation. That was a joke. So before you burn your... It's not there, all right? But do you see the point? Instead of seeing the blessing of God, all they can see is you broke their tradition. It's amazing. It's amazing. See, hypocrisy doesn't go away. 
Self-righteous people don't go away. They was as real in Jesus' day as they are as real in our day today. Two things I want you to look under, underneath this, that God showed me underneath this. First, I want you to see their accusation. Their accusation. They said, what are you doing? You can't be doing this. This is wrong. Now let's think about this a minute. I'm going to go into it and explain for you. But let's just on the surface, on the surface, let's look at this. What was he doing? What was he doing? None of y'all got a Bible? He was carrying his bed. He was carrying his bed. Who told him to? Okay, now let's think about this a minute. Just a minute. He's doing what Jesus told him to do. You starting to see this now? But according to them, it was wrong. Let me, let, me, let me say it again. He was doing exactly what Jesus told him to do. But because it wasn't according to their tradition, it was... And this was the terminology they used. It is not lawful. Lawful. Now, let's, let's, let's do a little history lesson. Let's do a little history lesson. Now, I just need you to pay attention to me because this is not in your notes, okay? I'm just going to give you some stuff, okay? God gave us his law, okay? God gave the nation of Israel the law, what he wanted them to follow. Are you all with me? Okay? They were in captivity. They went into captivity in Babylon. When they went into captivity in Babylon, they were there. They were there several, several years. And the longer they lived there, the more they, the, the, the children and the young people, how many of y'all know when you move into a neighborhood and the kids are hanging out with the kids of the neighborhood, they start picking up the slang of the kids in the neighborhood? You, 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 take, you take my youngins down here and I can go visit Ohio and my kids are going to talk different than them folks up there. Y'all is not in their dictionary. Y'all with me? So, so my kids are going to pick up, my kids are going to pick up the way kids around here talk. Slang, whatever, whatever you want to, however, uh, 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 accent, however, dress like, talk like. You'll notice, man, kids, will, there's a fad going, you know, even hairstyles, you know, there's fads now with hairstyles, shaving half your head and having the top flop over and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it, it, you'll see a bunch of people doing it. Are y'all with me? I mean, it's, it just picks up. It just picks up. Everybody will start acting. So what started happening is the little Jewish kids started looking more Babylonian-ish than they did Jewish. And guess what happens to the older crowd? They start wigging out. And so what they did is God didn't have enough rules. So we're going to help the Lord. And so we're going to add some. Y'all with me? We're just going to help the Lord out a little bit. 
We're going to add, because they're not following the rules we have, we're going to make some more. That almost kind of sounds like the gun law lobbyists, don't it? Let's make it illegal. Anyway, I'm not going to go there. I don't want to make nobody mad. So here we find God's law, which was called the Torah. Say that with me. It was called the, the Torah. So uh, in order to fix this problem, uh, we're going to add man's tradition, man's law, which is called the Mishnah. Say that with me. The Mishnah. Mishnah. So over here, we got what God said, Torah. And over here, we got man's helping God. These are man-made rules. These are man-made regulations. These are man-made restrictions. Y'all with me? For instance, let me give you one. There's a ton of them. There's a ton of them. I mean, just a ton of them. But one of, one of the things you find in the Mishnah, and in order to carry something on the Sabbath day, because God said the Sabbath day you can't work, so they needed to clarify that, because that wasn't good enough for us. They need to clarify that. So, so what they said, you, you can carry something, but you can't carry it over your shoulder. Because that's classified as work. And, and, and if you do something on the Sabbath day, here's, here's, here's one, uh, you can move something in your house, but you can't move something from your house to another house because that's work. You, that's in the Mishnah. You see where, where I'm getting at with this? Uh, the amount of steps you can take. How many of y'all have ever read in the Bible, how many of y'all have ever read in the Bible a Sabbath day's journey? He, was on a, he went on a Sabbath day's journey. Or it was, it was the distance was a Sabbath day's journey. What does that mean? On the Sabbath day, you had to count your steps. Because if you took too many steps, that was classified as work. Now are you starting to see this? Well, see, the regulations of the Mishnah was kind of like the tax code of the U.S., Instead of having a simple flat tax law like God gave us, you have to have a Philadelphia lawyer to understand it. Say amen. Do you remember when you remember when Jesus came and he said that you've placed a bondage on the people? You've putting you putting burdens and bondages on the people. You remember that where it says, uh, listen, uh, take up, take up, or, or excuse me, how does it say? Uh, 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 come unto me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. How many of y'all remember that? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You know what he was talking about? He was talking about the law. He was speaking to the people who were so burdened by the laws and the restrictions and the regulations of the hypocritical Pharisees. He's saying, forget that jive, come to me, because... My yoke is. Is this starting to make sense? So what's Jesus doing? He's attacking the religious, and, and by the way, the wicked religious establishment of that day. God had given them a pure, a pure, holy law, pure, holy word. And just like what man does with everything, man corrupted it to the core. And the religious leaders of that day were corrupt to the core. 
and they made accusations against this guy and said, it is not lawful for you to do that. Now, let's think about this a minute. Do you think the Messiah, the Savior, the Word, the incarnate Word would have commanded somebody to do something that was not lawful? Jesus would never command somebody to do something that broke God's law. But guess what he was doing on a regular basis? (laughs) I love it. He constantly, please get this, guys. I know you, I know you think it's, this is just about, you know, an Old Testament, or excuse me, a New Testament story and, and all that, but I'm afraid there's so many people in our country, so many people in this world who are so bound and so in bondage to tradition and man's opinion and man's way of doing things, the way they've always done it, this and that, and they'll say, well, you can't do that. It's not lawful. Show me. I've had times that I've sat down with people that meant well, meant well, and they were accusing me of all kinds of stuff. You're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing, and never could specify anything. So I got sick and tired of it. And I said, listen, let's just stop this conversation right now. Let's just stop. I took my Bible and laid it in front of him. I said, if there's something in there that you can show me that I'm doing that I'm not supposed to or something that I'm not doing that I'm supposed to, show me chapter and verse. If not, we're done with this conversation. And you know what the exact response was? God is my witness. This was the exact response. You ain't never loved us. That is exactly what was said. And I'm like, thought we were talking about doing stuff wrong or what the, I, the Bible, well, I don't love you. Well, you hug everybody else, but you won't hug us. You know what? It was no different with Jesus. When Jesus confronted their error and he confronted their, their, their hypocrisy, you know what they would do? they just get personal. Well, you're a devil. You were born of fornication. They would accuse him of being a bastard child. Listen, Hypocrites are the same no matter where they are. And see, part of their hypocrisy is they were making accusations that they couldn't back up. Now, according to their tradition, yeah, the man wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. According to their tradition. But here's the problem. First, we see their accusation. It's not lawful for you to do what you're doing. But then we see their intimidation. Their intimidation. And this is is the scary part. What we're going to learn here is the power of false religion. The power of tradition and preference. Turn with me. Back up, back up, back up, back up, back up. I got plenty of time. Look here. Let's back up here. Now, now put yourself in this guy's shoes. Okay, the only, the only church they had was the temple. You see, you if you don't like something that's going on at this church, there's a ton more you can go to. Y'all with me? Now, if you don't like something at this church, you can pick another one. You disagree with something I say. There's tons of others you can go to that will just bring you right on in. Right? There was only one temple. If you got kicked out of that one, you with me? And according to them, you know, if, if, if you got excommunicated, you, got, you, you, was, you was damned for hell. Y'all with me? That's how, that's how the religious leaders could hold this over people's head, and it was such a powerful control over people. Because I'm telling you, if you say, I, I, can, I can send you to hell, hey, hey, whoa, what you need me to do? I, I, listen, I, I can put up a lot of junk. I don't want to go to hell. And it's been that way for centuries. So, so keep this in your mind. With this guy right here, there's only one church. If you get kicked out of that one, and, and there, it's over. So here this guy is. He's walking along. He's carrying his bed. He's probably rejoicing. He's probably excited. He's finally getting to use these legs. And all of a sudden, the, 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 the temple police are in front of him and confronts him and accuses him of breaking the law. And all he was doing was what Jesus told him to do. And he said, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, look, man, I'm, I'm just, the guy that healed me, he, he told me to do this. Can you all see the fear? What, what, I, I, hey, I, 
He, I'm just doing what the guy to heal me said to do. Well, who is this guy? Uh, man, I don't know. I don't know. What are they doing? They're intimidating. They're intimidating. Now, let's go to another chapter in John. Let's go to another chapter in John. Let's keep this in mind. Let's keep this in mind. Because we're going to see two different responses. We're going to see two different responses of some a, a response from two different people who were accused and intimidated by the Jews in their legalistic religion. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Look at chapter 9. Look at chapter 9. I believe it's chapter 9. I hope it's chapter 9. It's in John. Let's see. Let's see here. Okay, okay, here we go. Chapter 9. Look at verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he, he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes and no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sin. He went his way, therefore, and washed came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which were before had seen him that was blind, and he said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, Ah, he's like him. He just looks like him. But he said, I am he. That's me. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes open? He answered, Said, A man that is called Jesus made clay. He anointed my eyes, said unto me, Go to pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed him. I, can, I received my sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. Uh-oh. I brought him to the hypocrites. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, another uh-oh. It was the uh, uh-oh. And see, he keeps poking the bear. Then again, <clears throat> then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay on my eyes, I washed. Now he's, now he's had to repeat this three times. Now he's getting a little irritated. I, now I'm seeing, I can see. He put clay on my eyes, I can see. Then it says, therefore, said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. And they say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called the Now, they're interrogating the parents. They called the parents of him that had received his sight, and they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that he is our son, and that he was born blind. By what means he now sees, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He's of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. Now watch. Now watch. Now watch. Now you know. Now you're fixing to find out why they're scared. First they interrogate this guy. And over and over he tells them, look, man, all I can tell you is he, he spit on the ground, stuck clay in my eyes, told me to wash, and here I am. Here I am. I'm him. Yeah, it was me. I was born blind, but I can see. All I can tell you is the man named Jesus done it. Well, that wasn't enough for them. They go drag his parents into the courtroom. Is this your son? Yeah, that's our son. You, you say he's born blind, but how, how can he see? I don't know. All I know is he is our son. He was born blind. Now, how he sees, I have no idea. But he's of age. Can you see the fear in their response now? Hey, don't drag us into this. Why? Why were they so afraid? Look what it says. It says in verse 22, These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be Therefore, said his parents, he is of age, ask him. You see, a Pharisee and a hypocrite will always try to use intimidation to force you to follow their rules and follow their preferences and follow their opinions and follow their laws and their rules. And all God's people say it. Now watch. <laughs> oh, I love this blind guy. <clears throat> 
Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man's a sinner. I love his response. He answered and said, I'll tell you what. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But I tell you this, all I know is I was blind and now I see. Then said they to him, What did he to thee? How open he like sin? They just won't let it go. He answered, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his? Now nah, he's poking the bear. Are you going to follow him? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses, for this fellow we know not from whence he is. The man, oh, this is a, oh he got him right here. He, oh, he pile-drived him right here. He said, the man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing. Isn't this something? Ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now, we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that, by, by, that any man had opened the eyes of one that was blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And they answered and said unto him, Thou was altogether born in your sins. Thus thou teach us and to cast him out. What did he do? He confronted their hypocrisy. They said, this man's a sinner. He said, well, that's awful funny. That's awful funny. You don't know who he is, and you don't know where he came from, yet he healed me, and you don't know him, and you're supposed to be the religious leaders? I know this. I know this. God doesn't hear sinners. But he heard this man, and he healed me. You going to be a disciple? And you know what they said? Well, you was born that way. You know what happened to this guy? The same thing that happened to me in my office. When you confront their hypocrisy, they try to get personal. And they have no defense, and they have no argument. Don't you love this guy's response? But guess what they did? But have no fear, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to give you a short version. Jesus hunted him down and found him. Say, hey, guy, listen, it's all good. Don't worry about them kicking you out. He said, there's one greater than this temple that's here. There's a Messiah, there's a Savior. He said, who is that? He says, the one talking to you. All you got to do is believe on me, and you got to worry about what these jive turkeys do. Say amen. And you know what? The guy believed. Now let's go back. Let's go back. I need to save some time, so I'm going to have to just trust me on this. Go home and read it if you think I'm lying, but you go home and read it. John chapter 5. Guess what? Jesus hunts this guy down too. You know the one, the crippled guy, 38 years been crippled? The one had an attitude when Jesus tried to help him? He heals the man, and the guy goes to the temple. And guess what? Jesus finds him too. He says, hey, listen, man, let me tell you something. Go and sin no more. Don't get back in that same stuff that you got into that got you in this shape to begin with. If you do that, you think being crippled for 38 years is bad, die and go to hell and see what happens. There's a whole lot worse of things can happen to you if you stay in your sin. You need to turn from your sin. And I'm, I'm fairly confident Jesus gave him a clear gospel message. But you know what happened? You know what happened? He turned around and ran to the Jews. And said, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. He's the one that did it. He's the one that did it. He's the one that told me. What was he trying to do? He was trying to get back into good graces with the ones that was intimidating him. So he turned Jesus in. Here's the, here's the dangerous part of this. False religion and, and tradition of man is so powerful that you could be healed of a disease 38 years and still run back to something that's kept you in bondage your entire life. You wonder why all these churches are dying and are dead they're so concerned more for their preference and their tradition and the way they've always done something that when somebody brings life into their situation all they can say is that's not lawful. And it's powerful. It is so powerful that this guy was so scared instead of seeing the blessing and seeing Jesus for who he really was and seeing Jesus as the son of God he ran back and told on him. So now they confront Jesus. 
But guess what? Jesus wasn't afraid. This is why Jesus did what he did. Jesus did it on purpose. Because he's picking a fight. You say, was he trying to die? Yeah. He came to die. But they were trying to kill him. That was the point. He was confronting all of their hypocrisy at every turn. He was confronting their hypocrisy and calling them out on their foolishness and their sinfulness and their wickedness. It's amazing to me. I've heard preachers speak so bad about sinners. I mean, I mean calling people whores and stuff. Jesus never did that. He never used derogatory terms when it comes to sinners. But he did with religious people. Vipers. Isn't that amazing? How backwards we've got it in the day we're living in. But here's the point. Look at the last point, quickly. 14 seconds, no way. This is the whole sermon. This is the whole sermon. Uh, I can't do this. Uh, Y'all know I want to. Yeah, we do. Go get them kids. <laughs> I got to deal with them kids workers. Y'all don't. Amen. Don't worry about them. Well, you work in the kids department next week. Amen. Here, let's do this. Let's, let's, we're going to put to be continued. And this is why. This is why. I could rush through this part, but here's, here's listen. You got to understand. You got to understand. The whole point of the whole healing and the confrontation and the poking the bear was so Jesus could give the sermon he's fixing to give. And that's this last point. So there's no way I can rush through this, okay? This is the most important thing. The other stuff was just to lead up to this. I don't know why time got by so fast. But anyway, now remember, remember, watch this here. Watch, I will say this, though. Watch this here. Remember what we said, the sign, many other signs. Remember what we said, the word sign means. The message is more important than the... Now, see, here's what we've done. We've, we've discussed the miracle, and we led up to the message. And what we're going to talk about next week is why the miracle took place. And it... It wasn't, I was talking to Brother Jeff. I was talking to Brother Jeff in my office. We were sharing some of these things. He said, I, I said, the message is more important than a miracle. He said, oh, the message is that he's, he's Lord over disease. I said, nope. Nope. The message is he's Lord over the Sabbath. Because he'd been healing and healing and healing and healing. They already knew he had power over disease. But he wanted them to know he's Lord of the Sabbath. And we'll know why next week. And it's, it's really good. I'm telling you, you really don't want to miss next week. It's like ridiculous. All right. How many of y'all, that makes you want to come back? All right, here's what I need you to do. I need you to come back and bring somebody. <clears throat> because this is the pinnacle, this is the pinnacle of the book of John when Jesus declares who he is. Awesome. Dang, it's cool stuff. Unbelievable. Blow your mind. Say amen. Lord, help us this week to serve you. Help us this week to honor you.